Ready, set, go. Hi, and welcome to Green Grasses. I'm Amy. And I'm Carla. And we are excited to be back again um, this week. This week is kind of fun because we have two recording this week um, in preparation for spring break uh, next week. Uh, So just keep that in mind. We'll have one today. We'll have one Friday. And then we'll have a week off until our next one. So you can catch up if you haven't yeah take the week of spring break to listen (laughs) so anyway today we're really excited we have a good friend of ours here um i'll introduce her in just a moment uh we're gonna we're gonna uh do a little bit of international women's day with carla which is fun um verse of the week uh with me and then chapter four of character of nations with carla Mm -hmm. and then we will hear a testimony and get to hear about life as a missionary so we're really excited about that so let me introduce our guest this is Lori layman hi Hi. hello you guys for having me thanks for coming um so Lori was born in northern california she was raised in a christian home and is the oldest of five girls so we have we have that connection there oldest of four, um, became a believer at a young age, uh, was involved in church growing up through attending and serving. Uh, in 2002, uh, moved out to Arizona, or sorry, came out to Arizona on a vacation and met her future husband, Jeremy, at a church event that she happened to attend. In 2003, she moved to Arizona and began dating Jeremy, um, and then they were married in 2004. They have three precious children, uh, currently ages 12, 10, and 9, and they are super precious. I just adore them. Um, They have been members at Grace Bible Church in Tempe, Arizona uh, since 2010. Uh, In 2012, uh, they began training with an organization called Finisterre Vision. Uh, There was a need for a logistics coordinator to go with a team that was being sent out from this organization through our church. So they served in this role in Papua New Guinea from the end of 2014 until the beginning of 2020. Um, They have now been back in the States for a full year and are still working with the organization to serve our missionaries who are still serving in PNG um, and those also that are being trained and sent. So thank you so much for coming today, Lori. Yes. Well, and I want to say why I love Lori, because I always do that with (laughs) our guests. So anyway, Lori is just such an example to me of just sweetness and just love, because you're so so expressive. And I I can really learn a lot from you, because I am not. And so I think um, you you are just always ready to uh, show affection, and I just really appreciate that about you, Lori. And I think back to when you first started coming to our church, and how our our kids have kind of grown up together, and our boys now play um, video games like with each other in our different houses, or they try, and it is just the funniest conversations to listen to them play. And let's go into this world, and what are you doing? And Eric, where did you go? You know, and it's so cute to see them grow up and to see them play together. And it's just a sweet, sweet friendship. So I'm yeah. really thankful and for I'll, that. I'm gonna totally probably embarrass you right now. But when I think <laughs> about like the kind of mom that I wanna mm-hmm. be, I think about you. I'm not. That is even so kidding. true. <laughs> because of how that's that's so true. You're just Amy. sincere and sweet and, and kind. kind. And affectionate. Yeah. <laughs> and I can go on. I know, really. So you really are you blessed. are an example to us, and we are so blessed to have you as a friend, mm-hmm. um, and to fellowship with you, and to just learn um, how you how you love your kids because it's true, it's true. I mean, and you're just really encouraging. Like you'd mm-hmm. be, you were in PNG, Papua New Guinea, like alone. <laughs> <laughs> and she, you'd be messaging me, how are you doing? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> but it was just, it was so encouraging to me. Mm-hmm. And like, I want to be a better friend, like my friend Lori, mm-hmm. you know? That's so true. <laughs> so, so true. So now that Thanks. we've come, we've embarrassed her probably. <laughs> we like to do that. Yeah, we like to do that. Um, we're going to get into... International Women's Day and Women's History Month. Okay, so this is a little bit of a departure from our normal agenda, but, and I'll explain how I, how, how I came across or how I thought about doing this. I was listening to the radio, talk radio, because I listen, I listen to a lot of talk radio, but anyway, and they were talking about, let's celebrate the courage that it takes for women to make it in the music industry. And I was <laughs> like, what, really? Too hard to know. <laughs> well, I mean, 
don't misunderstand me. I think that music is great. And I, honestly, God gave us music. I think we can understand beauty because of music. And as some of you know, my lovely co-host Amy <laughs> is highly talented in music. So I don't, and I have a daughter who loves music. So I don't want to belittle that at all. I think, I think that it is God's provision for us to worship him, an expression of uh, a way that we can express that back to God. And so... Uh, it's not anything that we should shy away from. But what is celebrated now within the music industry, I mean, when I think of that, really nothing honorable really pops up into my mind. Nothing modest, nothing really worthy of praise. And so as I heard that on the radio, I kind of cringed. So what I wanted to do is really talk about a woman who is, real, who is worthy of being remembered, worthy of being talked about. And so I thought, I'm going to talk a little bit about, the, uh, about Ruth in Scripture and some of the things that she experienced. And what I want us to take away from this is just what real courage is, what it took for her to do what she did and why she did it. So it, the story starts with Naomi and I, have, I had to write his name down, Elimelech. There's a famine going on, and they have to go, and we're not completely sure if this is the reason why they go to Moab, but they go to Moab with their two sons, uh, and they settle in Moab. Now, the Moabites are known for being idol worshipers. They're not known for, being, for following the God of the Jews. And so why they go there, we're not totally sure, but we know that there was a severe famine. While they're in Moab, Naomi and Elimelech's sons marry Moabite women. Um, and so you're like, well, how, you know, if you think about that, I mean, think about who uh, Naomi and Elimelech are and their two sons. Uh, they were coming from Bethlehem. They go to Moabites who are idol worshipers and they take daughters from those people. I don't know what, I don't, I'm not going to speak to what was going on in their minds. I have no way of knowing that. But, and then the next part that's really honestly pretty probably catastrophic, although we don't know a lot of details, is Elimelech, and both of their sons die. So I don't know if it had to do with the famine, but all of a sudden, I mean, it, it sounds sudden when you read it in scripture, all of a sudden, Naomi, Ruth, one of the daughters-in-law, one of the wives that the sons have taken, and Orpah find themselves widowed, all three. And Naomi you know, what's she going to do? She doesn't have her husband anymore. She doesn't have her sons. She's got her two daughters-in-law. She decides to head back to Bethlehem. And she tries to persuade her two daughters-in-law to go back to their own people. Orpah decides to go, but Ruth decides to stay with Naomi. And this is the part where she just blows me away. She's a Moabite woman following a woman, a, a Jewish woman, back into Bethlehem. Naomi tries to dissuade her, but she, you know, gets to the point where I think Naomi's like, fine, Ruth, come with me. And so they go together, and I think about Ruth in that decision. She's going into an environment where she doesn't know if she's going to be welcomed. She's no, she is a Moabite woman. She's known as an idol worshiper. But what she knew is she needed Naomi's God above anything else. She forsook her people, she forsook her culture, she forsook everything and followed Naomi because she knew that Naomi's God offered salvation. She knew that's what she needed to, she needed to do. And so when we think about real courage and when, it, when I think about the woman I want to be, the woman I want to encourage my friends to be, the daughter I want to raise, is I want to raise a daughter who knows what, it, knows what it means to be courageous. And what it means to be courageous is to follow the God of the Jews, mm -hmm. to forsake everything that you know and follow the God of Scripture, and joyfully submit yourself to his perfect will. And as I look at the culture, that's not what I'm hearing. And that's not what our daughters are hearing. Anywhere we go, we hear, celebrate all of these really awful things but that's not what i want to be and that's not what who i want to raise i want to raise a woman and be a woman who joyfully submits to a wise and perfect god and like ruth at all costs
costs follows, the, at all costs, fo I, I want to follow the God of the universe, the creator of this world and the God of the Jews because that's what, how Ruth knew she was gonna have salvation and that's how salvation comes to me. And so I just want to encourage all of you, anyone who's listening, it doesn't matter where you came from, leave it all behind and follow the God of scripture because he is perfect and true and it may not be easy, but um, being courageous is doing what is hard. And how often is it hard to obey? How often is it hard to do those things that are even against our nature? And we can do it when we have a changed heart because we understand that we were sinners, that we need to repent. And when God comes and changes our hearts, we can now joyfully submit to his will. But that's true courage, to forsake everything and follow God. Any thoughts? No. no. <laughs> no that is so encouraging. It is encouraging. It's, it's so easy, easy to be bombarded by all of these things the world keeps throwing at us mm -hmm. of what we're supposed to think, quote unquote, is good. And, and what it means to be a woman. Yeah. You know? I mean, <laughs> well, it's this so culture right now, what it is to be a woman is like not even really what a woman is right. and it's this whole idea of speak your mind you are worth it you mm -hmm. are and and um we are all fearfully and wonderfully made that is true but we are all sinners in desperate need of a savior and if i just say what i think without considering the gospel I need to be very, very careful with that. And that's the kind of woman I want to be, the one that submits. If I'm fully submitted to, to the will of God, I'm going to be careful in my thoughts. I'm going to be careful in my words. You know, my words are going to be kind. My, my words are going to give life. That's the, that's the kind of woman I want to be. I, it just makes me think of, like, even all of Scripture is full of those truths, right? Mm -hmm. The book of Proverbs. How many warnings are in there regarding our words and the right. things that we do and the choices that we make? And um, we know from Scripture that a gentle and quiet spirit is what mm -hmm. is precious in the sight of the Lord. Right. You know, yeah. and when we think about biblical womanhood and what God says a woman should be, mm -hmm. it's so, so opposite yeah. from what's in the world. I was in a Bible study, and I remember the, the, the leader, the Bible study leader said, how do you find happy, happiness? And he said, obedience. And I thought, that's where my, I want my heart to go. I want to be obedient to yes. God. And I will become the woman that I need to become when I am obedient. Yeah, so you moms of daughters, <laughs> right? You have your work cut out for you. <laughs> I was encouraged even thinking through what you just said with um, wanting to raise your girl to be that kind of woman. And I think sometimes I'm like, oh, my little girl's growing so fast, but I do need to look towards the future and, and, and continue to work on preparing her, mm -hmm. not just wish that she was tiny again. <laughs> you know, yeah, all bundled right. up on my lap. It yeah. is, it's quite a responsibility being a parent and thinking about, like, my boys are going to be someone's husband one day, you know, and, like, mm -hmm. your girl and boys are and going I'll to be... have some words on whatever day <laughs> is reserved for International Men's Day. <laughs> International Men's Day. Yeah. I don't well, even know if we have it. To be fair. Yeah. Well, I think that's what they're trying to do with Women's Day. Is every day is Men's Day. Oh, you know. I guess. I don't. Really I don't know. No one knows I don't anymore. Know. I don't know. Everybody that gets my, their special day. That was my heart when I heard that, and I just really felt compelled to just talk about a woman who was worthy of being talked about, and worthy of emulating, and worthy of remembering. Uh, because of her obedience to God. Mm -hmm. And her obedience to her mother-in-law mm -hmm. throughout the whole Her loyalty, life. yes. So good. And that isn't even, I didn't even bring up the love story, which is a totally, you know, that's part two, but I just thought, you know, we don't have all day yeah, to talk yeah. about Ruth. Well, um, this week for Verse of the Week, um, two weeks ago I started off in um, a gospel primer or primer, if you're Ann Ingstead. Um, <laughs> that was for you, Ann. That was for you, Ann. Um, and last week I was, I was working through the, or the last time, I was working through a gospel narrative, and we talked about the glory of God. So this week I wanted to talk about my sin against God um, within the gospel. Um, so... If 
you are reading the book, it is Min, uh, Milton Vincent, um, a gospel primer for Christians. I can't say primer. Oh, I yeah. just, it just seems so wrong. <laughs> Maybe it's right. I don't, do you say primer or primer, Lori? I love primer. Primer? Really? Mm-hmm. We might just right, have, we to, might just have to change yeah, it. Okay. All right. I can admit I'm wrong. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so this week I'm going to talk uh, or read through the My Sin Against God and a few of the verses that correlate with that. Um, so, here we go. Yet I could not have failed this great God more miserably than I have. And that refers back to Romans 1 that says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So instead of giving thanks to him and humbling, humbly submitting to his rule over my life, I have rebelled against him and have actually sought to exalt myself above him. Going my own way and living according to my own wisdom, I have broken countless times either the letter or the spirit of every one of God's Ten Commandments. And you can read those in Exodus 20. Uh, Thinking myself to be wise, I have shown myself to be a fool. And because of my arrogance, God has every right to damn me to the everlasting experience of his terrifying wrath in the lake of fire. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Revelation 21.8 says, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And Ephesians 2.3 says, We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So, as for myself, apart from Christ, I am bound by the guilt of my sins. Romans 3.19 Now we know that whether or whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And in James 2.10 it says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he has become guilty of all. And also bound by the power of sin, enslaved various lusts and pleasures, like in Titus 3, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Ephesians 2.3 says, We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Apart from Christ, I am also utterly deserving and destined for eternal punishment in the lake of fire, completely unable to save myself or even to make one iota of a contribution to to my own salvation. Romans 5, 6 says we were helpless. So as we think about how great our God is and how we do not measure up to the standard of holiness that he desires and deserves from us. Um, If we think about that, that really is powerful because we are unable to save ourselves in any way at all. Wow, that's a good reminder. It's very humbling to think about that. Yeah, Yeah, thank you, Amy. Okay, so I'm going to go over chapter four of The Character of Nations by Angelo Codavia. Um, I'll try to keep this a little bit short. I will try. (laughs) This chapter was just so jam-packed, and honestly, it left me kind of with a heavy heart because of the people he talked about and just what happened to them and how just how hard, how, how hard, I can't imagine living this way. 
So if you if you haven't had a chance to read chapter four, I mean, if you want to skip over the rest of the chapter, other chapters, and read chapter four, I think it's worth a read. It's it's worth a, it's worth thinking about these things. Um, actually, my son wanted to read it, and so we talked about it for a while, and he really understood a lot of it. And and it really both of us kind of looked at each other like, wow, I can't believe they What's live the, this way. The chapter name. Um, the chapter name I don't even know mm-hmm. but it is that he um, it's possibly the Russian legacy or the Soviet legacy mm-hmm. I don't remember okay but that's what it is it's the story of communist Russia and he explains how the Soviet people were led to believe that freedom freedom was disorder they were afraid of it uh, they they um, here's a quote so that gives you kind of what I'm getting at. It says, the idea of self-government, of equality before the law, and of personal freedom, and the responsibility that goes with these, are all the most incomprehensible to the Russian people. And I think about that. I grew up with the idea of freedom. I grew up with the idea of personal responsibility. The idea that that is something to be feared is incomprehensible to me. And they were taught that that if you were free, it would be chaos. That if, if you were free, it would be a free-for-all. It would be just this world of disorder. and You needed the government to bring order to things. So that's how mm-hmm. they would keep them under control is by, you know, by creating a society that feared freedom. So they, mm-hmm. like that people would just go crazy? Right. There w- it would just be chaos. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anyone would descri- could describe what it would be like, but it was that the, the idea was so ingrained that they actually feared freedom. The idea so, of the unknown. Right, the idea of the unknown and the idea that there's, uh, the government was, was kind of placed in the place of God. You know, they don't, they, one other thing that they did was they banned all religion, not just Christianity. And so when it came, you know, when you have no God, the only authority is the state. The only authority is the government. So that's where they would, were taught that their security came from because it was a godless society. So they banned all religion. Oh yeah. So because when I think statistic. of Russia, I think like this is communist Russia. This is the in Soviet the days Union of Empire. Stalin, in the days of Lenin, up to the days of um, Boris Yeltsin, even. Okay. So this is not current Russia. Okay. This is communist Russia, or the Soviets. But what's happened though is if think about think about the society. I mean, they they banned religion, and they they had the entire time of the Soviets. So it's a good, it's, it's, it's a long time, enough to change the culture that has affected post-Soviet Russia. So they banned religion. Uh, Stalin and Lenin combined killed more than, than 112,000 Orthodox priests. They destroyed over 90% of any Christian churches. So they are raising a culture, a godless culture, a culture that says, um, that would encourage ch- families having children, but those children were a property of the state. They didn't really, they actually opposed uh, the idea of natural families and other natural human institutions. Um, And so even if um, there were families, you know, you were always the property of the state, those children didn't actually belong to you, they belonged to the state. So there was that whole whole idea. They also made um, work compulsory. So like one example was doctors. The, they would set the prices for like what doctors could make. And so, um, I don't know what it was, but what would happen is if you really needed care, then you would have to go pay under the table. And so it creates this, and then think about that across all other economies, across all other jobs, paying under the table, bribing. That became a huge cultural component, bribery. Hmm. Um, and so dishonesty becomes something that is intertwined in the culture because you can only get things by bribing and by lying. Distrust of each other as neighbors because your neighbor was going to go tell on, um, on the government, tell the government on you if you were doing something you weren't supposed to. Hmm. The government's priorities, even though there were all these inefficiencies and all this waste, the inefficiencies were not a priority to fix. 
the, the priority was to be in a position where you could get that favor and you could become uh, popular or powerful because of your influence. So they had some structures of, of uh, powerful people and you know uh, poorer people, but it just created this government or, or this culture of people who bribed, who were dishonest. The family was not prioritized at all, and it was godless. So when you think about all those years under Soviet Russia, or Soviet, the Soviet Union control, and then the Iron Curtain lifts, and you have this whole, you know, this whole generation that really doesn't put a priority on religion, um, they're still dealing with some of those issues of bribery, of dishonesty. Some of those things have, have I think, stuck through. Um, all these years, and um, I mentioned I actually need to contact my friend Natalie, who was the one from Argentina that I said I need to find out if she knew anything about this, and I thought of her because she spent actually a long time in Samara, Russia, as a missionary. So she can help me with my, my Argentina information and my Russia information, because <laughs> I'd really, uh, that's what I, I came across with a heavy heart for this generation of people that grew up in this kind of culture, and for the generation of people that came after them, mm -hmm. uh, th to live in a, in a godless, familyless, uh, full of bribery, full of dishonesty, that just has to be a very difficult culture to live and learn to navigate. Um, and I don't, I don't know the state of the church right now, and that was kind of outside of chapter four, but um, I kind of walked away from this chapter just with a heavy heart for the Russian people in the culture that they now have because of all of those years yeah. of living the way that they did. So um, I saw something the other day, I can't remember what it was on, but they were interviewing some girl just randomly on the street in Russia. And they, they asked her about people like coming to Russia and she was like, don't come here, go back. Like you don't want to come here. Um, and it was like, that was just like some random girl off the uh -huh, street, you know? Yeah. But when, even when you mentioned um, telling on your neighbor, it made me think of the COVID stuff yeah. and oh, how yeah. they were saying like, you know, tell us if you're, you know, they're leaving their houses and having parties mm. or whatever. And yeah. And like, we oh. hear so much, and Kodavia mentions this, we hear so much about how great it would be for everyone to have equal of everything, you know, and the redistribution mm -hmm. of wealth. But they hide the, and he calls it the monstrosity of this system of government. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they don't talk about what all of this, all of this talk of equal distribution of wealth and what that actually means. There was no equal distribution of wealth even among, among communist Russia. It was just equal misery pretty much <laughs> is what you had all the way around. And you still had because people are people. Yeah. People are still, still sought mm -hmm. positions of uh, influence um, you could be, you know, you, you, they had people from the poorest class go all the way up to uh, a higher level of influence, all because of bribes and connections, not because of anything else. So there, so the structure itself would eventually imploded. Um, Boris Yeltsin had a lot to do with that because his, the way that he thought was very different, and they called him soft. And so when he became soft. You know, um, you have to do it all the way, or it will fall, and that's exactly what happened. Mm. So, you might walk away a little depressed. <laughs> I kind of did, you know, but that's the reality of the world. Mm. And so, we we read the book like this to learn from the past. And, yeah, and yeah, to be prepared for the future, mm -hmm. to have right? that hindsight, and then I think also too, just to like know that all these different places in the world and cultures mm -hmm. are different than what we experience mm -hmm. here. Yes. Just like how you said you couldn't imagine the opposite, mm -hmm. right? Like they're afraid of freedom and we're not because mm -hmm. we live in a free country at the moment. Mm -hmm. so, right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, okay. okay. Sorry. I know that was a little sobering. <laughs> I know. It's all right. We're all sinners right? in need of a savior. Yes, huh? We are. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, we're going to come over to Lori, and we'd love to hear your testimony of what the Lord has done in your heart. Um, all right, I'd love to share. Um, by God's grace, I grew up in a Christian home, 
And I professed Christ at age eight, and I was, I'm sorry, at age six, and I was baptized at age eight, the same day as my mother. I grew up attending church and being involved. I would say that my understanding of God's Word was um, growing more as I entered into high school. There was knowledge of His Word and, um, and a love for Him, um, but not much for discipleship in that season of my life. And as I got older and I was married to my husband Jeremy, there were a lot of difficult seasons that came in our early years of marriage. And those were the years where I feel like my understanding, um, the depths of my sin, and needing to repent of that, and how much I was forgiven in Christ, like that was a huge season of growth in my um, walk with the Lord. And when Jeremy and I became members at Grace Bible Church in January of 2010, um, there was discipleship at our church and the study of God's Word was so excellent. And my love for the Lord and the Gospel has only grown. Um, my sin has been revealed more and more and I have been challenged to know God's Word and not just knowing God's Word but truly knowing the God of the Word. As the years have passed by, I see myself more and more as that worst of sinners, but I also see God's grace through the faith that I have in Christ, even more of a treasure than ever before, because I see what he's paid for in my life. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> well, we are, um, I mean, we have such a, a, a love for you in general, and then, so I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about missions, because you were in the thick of it. <laughs> Yeah, at least for a chunk of years. Yeah, for, for a good, <laughs> good while. So um, let's go ahead and get into our questions about missions. So, all right, here's, okay. our, here's our bell. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Thank you. Would you like, can you do that in a higher octave, please? I don't know about octave, but ding, oh. ding, ding. <laughs> Up higher. Can you do that in an opera voice? <laughs> I could go on. <laughs> we looked for a while we for love a bell. music. This is just so you know how much I love music. Yes, After, know. you know, kind of ripping on it a little <laughs> earlier. No, it's not music. It's the music industry true. that you're ripping on. Yes. Which is totally That justified. is true. That is true. <laughs> anyway, sorry. We, Off we, topic. Uh, yes. Missions. That was a tangent. Um, all right. So, Lori, can you just tell us what is a missionary? Okay. Um, so, for what a missionary is, um, I would need to look at God's word to most clearly define that. Um, I think that there's a few different passages that we could look at. Um, there's a lot of passages, but there's a few that I'll point to right now um, just to help us think about what God's Word says. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, is a command from Jesus Christ to his disciples before he departed. He gave his disciples and us as his church our mission. And Matthew 28 is the end of the Gospel account of Matthew. It's after Jesus has risen from the grave, and before he leaves back to heaven, he says to his disciples, starting in verse 18, and Jesus came up to them and spoke, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus' command here is to go and make disciples. Also, we could look at the book of Ephesians. Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus, and in chapter 4, he is speaking to them about the church and the gifts God has given in order to build up the believers. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul begins with how we're to walk and live in this new life in Christ. In verse 4, Paul reminds the believers that we are all one in Christ. We've all believed the same message. We have the same hope. In verse 7, Paul begins speaking to of believers receiving grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And as part of these gifts, Paul shares in verses 11 and 12, some that were given specifically. He says, starting in verse 11, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the, of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The kindness of God to allow biblical teaching for the church to be equipped for the work of service and the building up of believers is a kind gift. This allows all believers to be able to grow in their knowledge and love of God and the gospel that saved us. To receive the gospel is to now have the responsibility to continue to share the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, another passage would be in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. It's a key passage of scripture that directs us to the need to go and keep sharing. 
Paul says that all who call who call on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And then he has four rhetorical questions following this blessed promise of salvation. And the end result being that one must go, one must speak, and others must hear to believe. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 17 says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This command here is we must proclaim, we must speak, share, and go near and far. Um, the last one I wanted to look at was um, our first biblical example of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas being marked out and chosen by the Holy Spirit to be sent. And they were sent out from their church in Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, here there is leaders in this church at the church of Antioch, and it says that prophets and teachers were there, and they were ministering and fasting when the Lord declared for Paul and Barnabas to be sent out. And it says in the beginning of verse 1, Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manon, who had been brought up with, the, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Saul also is Paul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. That was the beginning of the first missionary trip. And later um, in Acts, they even come back to that church in Antioch to report how their trip went. This is... Um, from where I believe the church is the one that should be sending missionaries as a biblical principle. Mm -hmm. Missions is not just a program in a church. It is an identity of the church. The equipping of the church provides that believers um, is what makes one able to be ready for the work of service, like it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Wow, no. that was very thorough. <laughs> wow, thank no, you. That was great. That was great, Lori. That, thank you. Now, I, I feel like I have absolutely no follow-up questions, <laughs> kind of like an interview. Javanu, you know you answered the question because yeah. there were no follow-up questions. <laughs> Thank no, you so much. Great. That was really, that was so good. Okay, so how long were you missionaries? Um, our family trained for two years, and then we went overseas, and we were over there for over five years, and then now we've been back a year, and we're still serving with the organization stateside so you're still helping you're still part of that equipping and part of yes. that sending i would say more my husband at this <laughs> point um but i he lets me participate i get to be a part of things so i'm super thankful for that okay so how did you decide that you wanted to go into the mission field is that like something you always wanted to do or is it something that like came up yeah, no, I did not grow up thinking like, oh, I want to be a missionary, you know, when I was a little girl. Like, I didn't really know much about missions um, and missionaries. So back in 2008, Jeremy and I had been married for about four years. And we, like, really first just started learning about unreached people groups in the world. And we're kind of shocked. It broke our hearts, and it gave us an initial desire to want to be a part of reaching the lost internationally someday and in some way. But we didn't really know what that looked like. Um, and then in June 2012, our church, Grace Bible Church, had a mission Sunday. And the Can family and the Dodd family and our director spoke on Papua New Guinea. They spoke about the training that the families had been doing and the work that they would be going to do in Papua New Guinea with the church planting and Bible translation through the organization of Finister Vision. Then they also presented the need for a logistics coordinator. And without someone to go in that position, the families that were training were going to be stuck stateside and not able to go. Um, so my heart was broken for the people of Papua New Guinea and that they had a need to hear the gospel in their own language. And after the service, Jeremy went and picked up a flyer that listed the responsibilities and the skills needed for that position. He came to me and said, I think I can do all of this. And we were both like crazy <laughs> excited. And in that moment together, we were like, yes, why not? Wow, was like, that fast? Go. It was that It was that fast. And um, if that gets the gospel there, what better way to serve? Mm -hmm. Like if they need to go, then we just need to go. Um, <laughs> now that was like 
in our minds and our hearts and we were saying all of those things, but we kept our thoughts to ourselves for a few weeks and spent time praying. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to just like emotionally just start doing something. Um, we Let's wanted go across to, the world. Yeah, it's a big decision. So we yeah. waited about two weeks before we contacted our elders to see if they would even consider us ones to be sent. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, now, I didn't write this question down, but I have a side question. Yeah. How far was Jeremy into a career? Like, what, yeah. what was the, mm. what did you have to leave, you know? Yeah, he was um, an assistant to the general manager at his company. And working with the, the GM mm-hmm. on like big five-year goals for the company and for himself and all those kinds of things. And, and we were in the midst of training and his boss said, Hey, let's work on like the next five years and, and what we want it to look like. And, you know, in your position. And he's like, I should probably tell you I'm training to go to Papua New Guinea now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he called me, he's like, I might lose my job today. Oh gosh. <laughs> Cause I told him, yeah. um, but he didn't. God was really gracious. And Jeremy, um, shared that with his boss and his boss did not let him go but instead Jeremy trained a replacement and he backed all the way out of the company in a, in a year year and a half of during oh, wow. our training and he left um, he replaced himself all the way backwards and he left as like the janitor wow mm-hmm. wow that was yeah. a gracious boss it was that a gracious boss what, that a, was, what a provision yeah wow but but also humbling like mm-hmm. to be the assistant to the general manager mm-hmm. and like leave as the leave janitor it. like yeah. wow right that's really right that's great and it's i you the role that you had was just so interesting because a lot of times we think we're going to go plant a church mm-hmm. and to know that you were you guys were going into a support role yeah and so um not not you weren't going in to translate mm-hmm. and plant the church but you were supporting those that were so i just wanted to get kind of an idea of what your role your specific role was Kind of like yeah. your day-to-day or some of the things that you supported them in, the, the team in that was in the tribe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so our family was based in Medang Town, which is a small port town on the coast. Um, it, so we were not out in a village. We were in town. Um, my husband, Jeremy, was the logistics coordinator, so our organization is really small, and it was not even based yet in Papua New Guinea. So showing up... his initial primary role was to get the organization legally set up even within the country. Um, We all needed to learn the trade language. When we got there, we moved there with the Cans and the Dodds initially. Um, And so all three of our families were learning the trade language so we'd be able to interact with the people there in town. And it took a few months. And during those few months, um, Jeremy also had to be setting up all of these things and bank accounts and and legal documents and things without even knowing the language and so that was a, mm. a big wow big challenge um, mm. but he did a great job with a joyful heart um, he handled the administrative for the organization from finances to government docs to medical emergency evacuation plans sending supplies into the villages um, to the village for our missionaries whether that's groceries or hardware or medicine, different things that they needed through helicopters. He worked on maintenance of vehicles and generators and property. And for a season, he led the house building team up in the village when they were moving in and building homes. Um, He also, together, we also got to train new families and individuals that came out as missionaries for our organization. We got to walk with them through their orientations. Mm -hmm. So that was really sweet. My role, my primary role was to be a wife and a mother and a homeschool teacher and a housekeeper (laughs) and a cook (laughs) and a friend. For Jeremy to successfully do his job of serving in that support role for the missionaries in the village, I needed to faithfully manage all the other things within our home so that he was freed up. Um, and then the building of the friendships and relationships was just important aspect mm-hmm. for me yeah. to yeah. connect with the people there. Yeah. So how was you and, and Jeremy's role, how was your role compared to those that were in the village? Because mm-hmm. they were doing, like their role is just very different. Yes. So what did their roles look like in comparison? Yeah, so Jeremy had a lot of those administrative and logistical tasks. And then in the village, the families there are primarily learning language and culture. It takes about two to three years um, to even gain a good chunk of fluency mm-hmm. with diligent hard work to be able to get to the goal of preaching and teaching the Bible and the gospel in their tribal language. They have to know the language and culture well enough so they communicate the gospel clearly 
and so that it's not mixed with their present belief system of animism. If the communication and teaching of the Bible and the gospel presentation isn't clear, then the people won't have a clear foundation of who God is or a right view of Jesus. They will either not understand or they will mix Jesus Christ into what they already believe. So as our missionaries grow in their fluency of language, they also begin to build an alphabet for that tribe specifically. They create a literacy program, and then they teach the people there to be literate in their own language to read and write. In the midst of all of their focus of language and teaching and building relationships, they are homeschooling their kids and they're cooking and they're cleaning and they're pouring themselves out day by day to those people. Um, a sweet thing in the village is that the same individuals day in and day out live there. It's their home. Mm -hmm. So they get, to, um, as missionaries, you get to know them. You get to know them and who is who with family. Um, you get to grow those deeper relationships and friendships over time. And that was very different from living in town where we were. In town, um, all the people from PNG are from a village. They have a home. And so when they're in town, the majority of those in town are just passing through. They, they are not long-term. They're not living there. They hmm. live in a village. Hmm. Whether it's days of hiking and boating or whatever it is and, and walking. Um, so the friendships that we make in a transient place like town are more difficult. They're not usually as long-lasting. So we are thankful for the friendships we did have. It's very different how they came and went over the years. Huh. Mm. I, I guess wow. I didn't realize that it was yeah. so transient there. Mm -hmm. Were there many that were more fixed in town? A few, okay. but a lot of times people will even come to a town for like six months to a year if they want to work, get some money to take it back mm. with them to the village. Okay. So you might feel like you see somebody more regularly and then they're and then gone. then they're gone. <laughs> oh. So, wow. Uh, you're like, I lost another friend. Uh -huh. Now, so, you yeah. said a word that I, I'm not familiar with, animism. Animism? Yeah. Um, would be, that's their cultural belief system, um, like almost like. You know, um, there's a there's the ancestral beliefs and making things um, have a spirit that don't like a tree mm. or a por portion of the river because someone died and so they can't cross in those areas. Oh. Um, it's just a lot of um, a spiritual aspect to things that are not. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. if you're sick, you need to go and burn that thing because there must be a spirit in it. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's like more that. like the spirit world. A spirit world. Um, spirit world. And, okay. and, and, and ancestral. ancestral. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Okay. What was a typical day for you? <laughs> a typical day for me? Um, I would say in, in the ebb and flows when there were more of a consistent schedule, um, it would just be being a wife and being a mom mm -hmm. and um, waking up in the morning to spend time with the Lord and his word and prayer doing breakfast, doing school with the kids in the morning. We would always stop school by lunchtime. We rarely ever did school afterwards because the heat was so intense mm -hmm. in um, in Papua New Guinea that you kind of need that siesta time mm -hmm. um, where you literally just can't even move. You're super sluggish. Um, and so that would wow. be like a calm rest time during the day. Mm -hmm. And then around three-ish or so, I'd start moving into dinner prep. Um, and our family evenings were really sweet. Um, we would play games as a family. Jeremy would maybe even read like books out loud while the kids and I would do a puzzle. We um, would do reading, by, reading the Bible as a family before bed. And once the kiddos were down, Jeremy and I had time to spend together. And a funny thing about living there, which I've probably shared with you guys before, is that you don't typically go out at night. It's just not a safe thing. So you get seven nights a week as a family, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. which is really sweet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I th I'm, I'm trying to think about what that would be like <laughs> seven nights a week. Every night after Every dinner, night. just your home as yeah. a family. Mm -hmm. I remember you telling me about how humid it was there mm -hmm. and how the shower curtain. <laughs> I don't know why that always sticks out in my head. You'd say like it would get like molded. Oh, yeah. Like all the time. So often that you're mm -hmm. cleaning it all the time. Yeah. And the walls in the house. And the everything. Walls. Really. Cupboards, everything. I mean, you really mm -hmm. had a full full-time job <laughs> more, oh, more yeah. so than oh yeah my cleaning without here. going I'm not <laughs> going very year, far and I haven't had to wash my walls of mold yet in our houses it's been you're a like, blessing what's going on I know because <laughs> you're like, in the driest place on earth <laughs> you're like this is the first world <laughs> uh -huh. it's so true okay so what was what was the hardest thing that you experienced while in Papua New Guinea um a top view would be the heat 
that was pretty difficult. Um, food prep and cooking took a long time. The lack of fellowship and being built up mm-hmm. by the body of Christ mm-hmm. through the teaching. Um, I, we've missed that a lot, just the interaction. And we had a little tiny local church there that we attended, and they um, spoke in the trade language and taught Pisin, and they had a little Sunday school class for the kids, but it wasn't at the same level, mm-hmm. and it also wasn't in our language. So it was a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Um, the holidays, we would miss family. Mm-hmm. And then being so far away, that was a hard one when there were the joys of whether it's weddings or babies being born, and then also the sadness when there was death. Mm-hmm. Um, the first three years we were there, I personally lost seven extended family members. Oh um, my goodness. And three friends you guys know yeah. from our church, and one of those was our coworker, Matt Dodd. Mm-hmm. So those, yeah. were, those were hard things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very hard. Very hard, yes. Okay. And what were some of the like triumphs that you that you saw while you were there not the hard not just the hard things yeah um some of the sweet things for our marriage while we were there was trying to find ways to care for one another and in our time of spending together to be building up one another um so we would have jeremy and i would have nights where we or actually we would usually start out our morning while making breakfast sharing our bible reading together to be able to encourage one another in um, what we're learning about the Lord. And then we also, in our evenings together, would spend time visiting, reading, making, having home like date nights and things like that to grow our marriage. So those are really sweet mm-hmm. ways that we just got to be around each other a lot, but then also wanting to work on being building one another up. Mm-hmm. Um, That's really sweet. Our, yeah. As I say, our kiddos, mm-hmm. some of the yeah. ones we, we had with them that were really sweet. Um, even though they missed family back home, um, we just had a lot of time together. Mm. Um, we learned to snorkel together as a family out in the beautiful ocean and the coral reefs. Um, they also learned another culture and what life is like to not have much. Mm-hmm. Um, we had less there than we do here, and the Papua New Guineans there have an extremely less amount mm-hmm. than we do. Their friends and neighbors like lived in huts. Yeah. You know, they didn't have much. And so our kids, not only have they learned those things, but over there they, they grew in contentment and creativity and joy of interacting with young and old, no matter the differences and the similarities. Um, because it just, it was, it was different interacting with people over there. Mm-hmm. And so they just, they just found joy in getting to know people of all ages and spending time with different people. Um, yeah. That's really sweet. So what were some of the challenges then, like in your marriage? Yeah, Yeah, I would say that that first year or two, there were so many transitions happening and things we had to learn that trying to care for one another and care for our kiddos when you feel that empty, exhausted feeling, Mm. that was really difficult Mm. to want to pour into one another when you need someone to pour into you. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like that was a huge challenge. Um, just to want to be gracious to one another and kind to one another and and feeling like you're spent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sweating. And sweating a lot <laughs> while you're doing it yeah, all. Yes, so you don't feel as pretty. Yeah. Right? One, of the, one of my friends over there, she's like, I just don't feel like a woman right now. I just feel <laughs> stinky. And, and I can't wear makeup because it melts off my face, you know? And, um, and so, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So yeah. wanting to be lovely for my husband was hard. Yeah. Okay. So then kind of the same, you know, coin is your kiddos. What was mm-hmm. the challenge for them? Yeah, they had um, the challenges of missing family and friends, for sure. They also needed to learn the trade language as well mm-hmm. so that they could speak with the kids that they were playing with. They could participate in Sunday school because they're the the only kiddos over there that would know English, and it's all in Topisin, um, and as they interact with people in town. So they just had a lot of challenges for themselves to learn, to be able to respond to people, to interact in church even, mm-hmm. was hard. Um, How long would you say it took you guys to learn the language? Um, I would say for myself and our two youngest kiddos, we were definitely still in the learning process. Um, our oldest son and Jeremy learned it really well. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I think I had 
my, my base was at home. Yeah. And then if I'd go to town once a week and I'd go to church once a week, and then there just wasn't as much interaction for me, um, little mm. things here and there. And so my knowledge of the language was just not as deep. Mm -hmm. um, but Jeremy would take our oldest son a lot mm -hmm. everywhere he went. And I think that that actually helped him to grow and learn. And then we also um, hired the, the same Papua New Guinean um, lady who taught the our family and the cans and the dads, we had her stay around for a few extra months to keep teaching our kids, just to okay. kind of help give them a little bit more because we knew that they would need those they skills. Need yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. What was the biggest lesson or the biggest evidence of God's grace that you experienced while in PNG? Hmm. Um, I think the biggest lesson <laughs> that I learned <laughs> from the Lord was growing my trust in Him regarding safety of our family and our missionaries mm -hmm. that were out in the village. There is such a lack of medical help there that, I mean, it was just, it would cause me to be anxious and worried and fearful. Um, and so we had been given some training and good books on how to care for emergencies, but that was an area I had to keep trusting the Lord in. God was kind through his word, especially through the book of Psalms mm -hmm. and books like Anxious for Nothing by John MacArthur. Mm -hmm. Those helped me grow a lot in those areas. And I only saw his faithfulness in every mm -hmm. medical emergency and every need that we had. Didn't Belle broke, break her arm? Yeah, Belle broke her arm and it took That's like right. five days to get it casted. She had to fly up to a missions medical base. And, yeah. oh, and I know right. that I know Cassidy had some emergency Cassidy issues did. Uh -huh. Jeremy and I both had different things. Knox had one. I mean, pretty much mm -hmm. every, almost everyone on our whole team has had different yeah. things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. and I only saw God's faithfulness. And every one of those situations, things that would take longer, like Belle's arm to get casted, took five days and she had to go on a flight. But um, like we were still able to care for her at home as best we could and with a splint mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the biggest evidence of God's grace that I experienced over there was um, getting to know the people in the village where our missionaries are living, mm -hmm. um, the, in the Doe language and that they're ministering to. Being able to know their names and their faces and their families brought so much joy mm. over the years being there, knowing that as I continued to press on day in and day out with doing the mundane of what I felt was mundane and needed to do so that my husband was freed up to serve, I knew it was for their, their opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. in their language. Um, and so being able to pray for them by name and knowing them and their situation and what hut they're living in and <laughs> and, and just what things that are going on. Um, that was a huge blessing I got to experience. Did you get to visit the tribes often? Mm -hmm. Like up in the mm -hmm. the mountains? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Really like how often that. did you get to go do that? Um, we tried to do twice a year. I think our last term, though, we only made it up once more yeah. before the Gospels teaching before we move back okay mm -hmm. yeah oh, so great okay so now you're back mm -hmm. how has acclimating back to being in the u.s how has that gone for you and the kids and yeah. jeremy and yeah i think it's gone well by god's grace mm -hmm. <laughs> overall i think lockdown as soon as we got back was actually helpful <laughs> so you just kept right on having all that family time uh -huh. <laughs> we just kept having it but it gave us a chance to unpack and settle in and kind of get resituated a little bit and then start visiting with people as things became open again. Yeah. Being back a part of the church at Grace Bible Church has been so wonderful. Yeah, Getting to okay. see family again mm -hmm. has been so sweet. Um, yeah, it's been really good. We've had to care for our hearts with maybe wanting to grasp for things because this is like the land of plenty. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been helpful for our hearts and for our kids just to work through, just reminding ourselves that we also do just fine with with a lack of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, firsthand so, yeah. <laughs> how to go without those yeah. things. So, so now that you have experienced mission life and you understand mm -hmm. the need for encouragement, mm -hmm. how can we encourage missionaries, and especially those that are in tribal situations? Yeah, because they're even more remote. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say a huge blessing for the families is to hear from others, whether you text them or you email them or you make phone calls to them. Um, we loved hearing from everybody over there, like things that are going on in your lives. 
ways that you're growing in the Lord, the things that you're reading in God's word. Um, and then asking for over there, like how are things going in their lives and how is ministry going and, and how is parenting going and marriage going and, um, and what are difficulties that, that you can be praying for. I think that just having communication is just so helpful. Um, and then due to COVID right now, there's not mail going over to Papua New Guinea. But when that opens oh, up, really? that's an encouragement to be able to receive letters or packages. Okay. So, yeah, nothing's been going yet. Still. Really? Has yeah. it been a whole year? It's been a year. Of, the, of no mail or anything? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that's sad. So, yeah. That's <laughs> so texts hard. and emails. Yeah. So right now, just communication. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Um, so... What is the current state for the families in the tribe right now? Doing, I mean, I assume you keep pretty good contact with them. Yes, very regularly. Um, so they have finished up um, for my railroad. They have finished up the teaching and preaching through the gospel. Um, they went from Genesis to Revelation. And then now they are on the other side of that. And they are starting to disciple those who are professing Christ. So there are some professing Christ. There are a few professing wow. Christ. Oh. And we rejoice in that. Yeah. It is amazing. Um, those are walking miracles, right? Mm-hmm. Like we even heard on Sunday. Mm-hmm. The fact that God gives new life and new desires and belief and faith and trust in His Word. And mm-hmm. so, um, and we'll put some links out on the website that would be to great. read uh, more about where they're at. Mm-hmm. I know... Um, um, they have a blog, the cans. The cans. Why am I? I'm totally <laughs> spacing out cans right now. Mm-hmm. Cans of clay. I know. Yes. So, so the cans have a blog, and then the Mitchells post mm-hmm. things, and Amelia mm-hmm. post things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amelia just sent something out, I think, this week even. So there's updates from them on what that looks like, what difficulties that is presenting, mm-hmm. for especially for those who are not believing. Um, as things mm-hmm. are shifting right now mm-hmm. in their village and just really good ways to pray um, as well as you can just reply even if you know on a comment or or click to contact them and stuff and mm-hmm. and send an email that would just be really great okay so is there a current need for missionaries in Papua New Guinea yes there's always a need um, for but right now there's a big need for logistical there is so our position as the logistics coordinator um is is a need (laughs) our family came back after a three-year commitment which turned into five by god's grace and there is a very temporary situation that's propping up the role at the moment but it is not um permanent and therefore it's pertinent that we do have somebody in that position a family one to two families because our organization is growing Mm -hmm. and there are more families trying to get to other villages right now and so there is just going to be an increased workload of what that looks like um so yes there's that need for sure um and it takes one to two years probably to train and raise support um depending on on who it is that steps forward um to be able to take that role whoever the lord is placing that on and then the second need is for continual church planter and bible translators for villages Um, Our organization focuses primarily in the Finister Mountain Range. So all of Papua New Guinea is like the size of California, but there's over 800 different distinct languages. And so just within the... It is amazing. I mean, could you imagine every exit we get off? It's just like, and they only speak German here, and they only speak French here, and they only speak... I mean, it's just crazy, all these different languages. So in the region in which we're focused for an organization, there are still 49 people groups with these different languages that have yet to hear the gospel in their own language. Wow. So um, that is our focus to keep sending. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're not doing anything in the next five years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and even I'm like if kidding. you don't have the, the heart or the, the call to go, there mm-hmm. is that call yeah. to support. Yes. yes. Because Absolutely. there is so much. And this much... is very hands-on support. It yeah. would be amazing, an amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what advice would you give to someone considering being a missionary? Um, well, one, I think it's amazing if the Lord gives anyone that desire, mm-hmm. because not everybody has that desire. So I think that first it's just to encourage 
them and mm-hmm. and just want to rejoice with them that they even are considering mm-hmm. because that's a big commitment and a big thought to like consider um, I also think that um, I would also suggest that if they're interested in pursuing um, being a missionary that they would speak to their pastors and elders that they would be plugged into a local church that there is growth and development happening, that they are being discipled, that people know them, know their character and who they are, um, that they would include others in conversations about what they're considering. Maybe they would pray more about it, more than they even talk about it, that they would be in prayer a lot, um, that their pastors and elders would be able to speak into their lives in areas that they maybe need to grow or be cared for, um, to be considered sent ones. I think that looking for an organization that they doctrinally line up with and that their church would align with as well mm-hmm. to be able to be behind them. Um, one that can train, like looking for an organization to train them. And I also think that um, if they're even considering it, they can even request, um, Finister Vision does a thing called Big Picture for mm-hmm. those who have interest. And they kind of walk you through a course of 10 main phases and how we go about accomplishing um, reaching our goal of church planting and Bible translation. Mm-hmm. And, and whether that's our organization or other ones, just to get familiar and, and walk through like little introductory courses just to even have a mindset. Because sometimes I think people can have these lofty, dreamy kinds of ideas about missions. Um, so sometimes just to walk through a step-by-step and see how things are done yeah. can yeah. be helpful. Just like practical. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll put that link out for Finister yeah, Vision for definitely. sure. Out on yeah. the website. So if you are interested in becoming a missionary, what is the first thing that you should do? Yeah, I, I would say if you're not plugged into a local church, get plugged into one because mm-hmm. you need people walking with you. And, and then second, fall under the leadership of that church as they walk with you in pursuing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great place to start. Yeah. Thank definitely. you so much, Lori. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lori. <laughs> I learned so much. I know. <laughs> about I mean I, I knew a lot of what you had going on, but I I, I learned a lot about other things today. That was good. really good. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So as we are gonna wrap up today, um wait, wait what's our time? Oh. One hour, six oh. minutes. They just maybe <laughs> that'll good. be our average. I know, right? I know. That's good. Last week it was longer. We just always so. mention it, so I'm like, we can't miss that. We can't talk, miss talking about how I, long they're getting. I know, I know. But um, we're we're excited. As I mentioned, we're going to have another podcast this week on Friday, and we're going to have um, a woman from our church who has mentored so All many of us. us. All of us. Yes. Um, kind of like Anne has mm-hmm. been. In, Chris has also been just a yes. wonderful woman, and um, she's going to teach us about how to preach the gospel to yourself, mm-hmm. which it sounds like this simple thing, but when you're acting it out in, in real life, like it's just so good to have these. Yes, you and know, it's a discipline. Yeah, this discipline, discipline really mm-hmm. is what it is. Yes. So she's going to teach us about that, um, so we're really excited to have her on Friday. And then next week is spring break, so we won't have any. So you can catch up. Right. Yes. So make sure you you subscribe. Leave a review. Leave a review. What else? Da, da, da. That's, <laughs> that's what I've got. Yep. Well, and so as we go about our week, we want to remind you about what is eternal. So we'll finish with Isaiah 48. Mm. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.